Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that showcases fiber artists from around the world. You're listening to episode 29, and this week I spoke to Claire and Ashton of Wax and Wayne Fiber. Claire and Ashton are a queer and feminist fiber art operation based in Baltimore. We talk about the ways in which Claire and Ashton make space for each other and navigate the dynamics of running a business together, the realities of having day jobs in addition to a creative business and doing taxes. Pro tip, do your taxes. We talk about how fiber art is a political tool and how their work and business has changed as a result of the political climate in the U.S. This chat was a funny one, with a lot of editing because the internet connection from Tasmania to Baltimore was shaky. So if you notice a couple of moments of weirdness, that's what that was. We also have a few little inside jokes that formed over the course of this conversation, which, side note, was also the first time we'd ever spoken. We get deep into some tender chats about how we all just need some lovin' and how earlier we'd watched Rihanna and Jennifer Lopez music videos. There's no other way to describe this chat than pillow talk. Really, really good pillow talk. I'd like to take a moment to thank this week's episode sponsor, Millpost Merino. Millpost is an ethical family farm on the New South Wales Southern Tablelands near Canberra. It's been in the family since 1922, and Judith, aka Mum, and David, aka Dad, took over in 1979. The family is now making really lush, super fine merino yarn that's single source, just from their flock. I got a shade card in the mail the other day, and guys, this stuff is good. The colors are really considered, and they've got heaps of choice. Eight different colors that all look pretty damn good together, and undyed hanks for indie dyers. Millpost is run according to the principles of permaculture, so you can rest easy knowing that your yarn comes from a biodiverse, productive, and healthy farm. You can find Millpost Merino at www.millpostmerino.com.au. That's Millpost, M-I-L-L-P-O-S-T, Merino, like the sheep breed, or on Instagram as Millpost Merino. Thanks again to Millpost for sponsoring this episode of the Close Knit Podcast. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Ashton and Claire of Wax and Wave Fiber. Hey! Hi! Oh, that's better. <laughs> it's only like a second delay instead of five seconds. How are you both going? Good. Oh, so good. Talking to you, so it's great. This is so good. It's funny, I always feel like I want to tell the like listeners of the podcast like oh just before this when we were having a nice chat for half an hour <laughs> like, oh and it was a, before we started it was a morning. wonderful conversation what's well, great now i feel like i know you and you know us yeah yes there's like an actual friendship happening mm-hmm. that makes me and over the course of this podcast i feel like it will just continue to happen it'll blossom and the listeners will just literally be hearing the friendship build oh. so beautiful folks my heart my actual heart <laughs> <laughs> it's too early for this it's like friday at 9 a.m and i just can't i can't even do this <laughs> but how good is it it's so crazy to me that you can get on onto the internet onto skype with people that you've never like we've never met <laughs> we've never like we've had we've exchanged a few emails where i have said what the australian lingo is for the thing that you've said to me yes (laughs) and hoped that you both weren't like who is this actual freak like why is she talking about headless chooks what is this shit like (laughs) but that you can just get on the internet and like that's a thing that you can that friendships come out of that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it happens to me all the time. Like, I talk to people about this. They're like, so how did you make friends when you moved to Australia? I was like, Instagram, guys. That's how I made these friends. But for real, though. everyone was like, that's bizarre. How do you make friends on Instagram? How do you do that? Like, uh, follow, uh, obsess over their work, ask them a lot of questions, and then just, like, point blank be like, "Uh, do you want to be my friend now? (laughs) Simple. Thank you, Claire. That, exactly. It's it is actually even a formula. It's like I don't want to talk about it as a formula, but it pretty much is. You yeah. just like get interested in them, <laughs> comment on their things, and then probably eventually send a direct message and be like, "I think you are really great." <laughs> it's great. I mean, t- I I was gonna say Tinder. This is not Tinder. This, this is, is not Tinder. Tinder. <laughs> Tinder in the brain. Instagram friendships are they're very easy to make, and like we like have one. We have a guy in Brooklyn. Zach that mm-hmm. we became friends with and like 
when we went to go, well, I say we, but really when it you went. It was just me. It, I say we for our business, but Claire, like, that doesn't mean that like we are always together, but there's always a, a we <laughs> essence about our brand. But so Ashton went to Renegade. Claire's never actually met this person. I've never met this person, but it's, he is my friend. I just haven't met him yet in the same space. But yeah, uh, Instagram friendship, and then Ashton stayed with him like for the weekend so that we could do our, you know, sell our work at Renegade in Brooklyn. So like, yeah, it's like a good, it's like a really good like support network of people too. Yeah, yeah. So I like genuinely get the impression that you guys are literally together all the time. Well, currently <laughs> this month we have been because Claire has been living with me for the last month. Yeah, I've been so, gotcha. And so we like we share a studio together. We share this apartment right now. So there's like there's like no real disconnect currently. Um, but that will change in a few days. Literally on Sunday. Because there's Claire, gonna be a lot of distance. Is, Claire is going to be going very far away. Mm-hmm, I'm going to Oaxaca. Yes. Can you tell us about this? Sure. So I'm going to Oaxaca, um, which is in Mexico. It's all the way very, very south of Mexico by the Guatemalan border. Um, so, you know, part of it is definitely to see friends and to hang out. But a portion of this trip is going to be to learn about cochineal and indigo dyeing with a master weaver and dyer in the um, in like downtown Oaxaca, where like all of the you know textiles are made. It's all natural dyes. So I'm just going to eat that up. Do you guys know Jess Schreibstein? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's our good friend here. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. She was just there. Actually, it's this. It's the exact same residency that she went on. Um, I forget I forget the dyer's name. But she, I mean, they're like first name basis. It's like a small family. It's like him and his wife and his son. And they have like a storefront and they sell all of these like amazing rugs. And then they actually have a dye house and access to you know the prickly pear plants themselves and the cochineals um and they're just gonna like show us how it's processed and produced and how you actually extract the bug and how to create all these shades cochineal has always been like a really hard dye for me to understand anyways um so i i'm excited to go and learn how to get those like really deep reds and those like bright pinks yeah because i feel like i only get like the one shade so I'm going to I'm going to learn from someone who like really knows what they're talking about. Mm. How have you you've so you have done a little bit of cochineal dyeing at this stage? Yeah. This stage? Yeah, a little bit. Um but not not like to any like real extent either. Yeah. And when you like when you get that dye does it come to you like what's the form that that comes in? When you're actually like buying the cochineal it comes uh it's just dehydrated the the bug um it's in a dehydrated yeah. form so you get x amount yeah. and then you like you know crush them up and put them in your dad bath and do whatever you need to get whatever shade that you want to get yeah it's really it's really interesting because yeah. you're, you're seeing you know you're seeing the bug like you can like identify it that's <laughs> like this is yeah this is this was it's not just life. like a little crystal powder exactly yeah, this exactly is a life. um where do you know where those insects are like where they originated or like where they're found. I just don't know anything about them. Yeah. So cochineal, it lives off the prickly pear cactus. So it's in like uh, central, like oh. South America and in Mexico. So if you're, if there's fields of prickly pear cactuses, there's probably cochineal living on them and you can, you know, actually see them. And so for a cochineal, um, like production, it's just these fields of the coach or of the prickly pear. And then farmers are actually like scraping the bug off and, taking them and dehydrating that. I, I mean, I don't really know the like full process. I'll, if we do a podcast again, I can surely explain this to you again. Um, <laughs> but I don't know if it's like perfect uh, specific <laughs> to like the gender of the bug. Like if it's like, it's you only need, the females. Yeah. I think it's only the females that you <gasps> use. So the females, you can tell them too, because they produce this like white fuzz. Mm. It's like, they are the, they don't have wings. The males do. And so, the females are the only ones that produce the carminic acid at the high extent that you need. Um, and so you can just, it's the easy harvest, basically. They grow on there and then you just kind of peel them off. Plug and them. it's great. They make these yeah. like little baskets that they all live in. They're these like little tubes that they live in. It's really cute. Like on the plant. Yeah, it's like yeah. they're like little cochineal yeah. ranchers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to our cochineal ranch. <laughs> 
We're gonna I'm just imagining them with bugs. like little cowboy hats and big culottes, like they're wearing these big pants. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I want to make this town is big too. enough for the both of us. Just prickly pear. It's either me or you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so good. <laughs> Awesome. Sorry, I took a bite of bread, so I'm going to do that real quick. Um, okay. What I wanted to ask you both was, like, so my room is little, and it's just got all my shit in it. It's like, my room, I sleep here, I do other things here, I, um... <laughs> sure. I, we see sorry, I had to do We that. know. <laughs> you understand. Um... I knit here. I've got all my knitting stuff. I like sometimes try to, I podcast here. I try to do my like day job work here at this desk. I also try to do my emails from this desk. And I just wonder, I've just been wondering lately about the like, how that all works and if that's problematic and it just feels like I can't get anything done ever and you got, you folks have a studio. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can you tell me about that and that decision-making process? Um, it's necessary. It's so necessary. Yeah. We, I mean, it's necessary for two people who you on a normal like basis live separately from each other, um, yeah. you know, to like meet and have no distractions from, you know, coming in from like, if, if we meet at like coffee shops or if we like do things in our home, it, nothing's going to get done. So we pretty much the second we decided Hey, let's like start a business and um like do like make work together as like a partnership. The next like follow up was we need to get a studio. There was like no question that um that was that there was any other option. And we started off making quilts too. So it's a lot of space that was required. Um there was no way that we could have done that in any other way. Um we took stuff home every once in a while if we were working on like singular projects, but there had to be a central space where we could have a giant roll of batting. Like there was no way that we could do it any other way. Um, And I think it's really hard too. Like I've had a conversation with a a friend just recently where he's a writer and his desk is in his bedroom. And I'm just like, if, well, he was actually saying that he used to just write in his bed. And I was like, if, even if I was just like next to my bed, I'd just be like, Oh, I'm getting sleepy now. I'm going to like, you know, pass out. So I think it. I, I applaud you for getting work done in your own bedroom. It depends it's... on the process, though. I think because, like, I was a I was a painter. Um, I I am yeah. a painter. I don't know why I like refer to that in past tense, but so I studied painting um, in undergrad, and my studio. I had a studio, but I actually preferred working in my home. And I had like a, I had like a sunroom in one house that was like really great for it, and then I had a living room, or like a dining room area in my other house that no one ever used, so it became my studio. And for that process, it was great because I could just like leave my work up. And then throughout the day, I'd be like, I'm going to go back in my studio and like add a, add a thing. And then I'd leave and like do something else. And I'd come back to it. And for that process, it was amazing. And I got an immense amount of work done. Um, but yeah, I think it, you know, for what we're doing, that's just not, we can't like come and go and come and go. We need to like put in some serious hours and then be like, okay, now I'm done. I, it's like a nine to five, you know? Yeah, yeah. Do you kind of treat it that way where you go in sort of around nine and you come home around five? No, we both have other jobs. But when we have the hours, we dedicate those hours to being in that space. Yeah, like I'll have... um, Yeah, Ashton has more of like a stable like Monday through Friday job and I have a job that I work like, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Saturday, Sunday, and then all my off days are my studio days where I try to create a nine to five work setting. Yeah, okay. So that nine to five work setting, even in your creative work, even in Wax and Wayne, is what you what you like to have as how you get oh, your yeah. stuff done. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I hear that. Yeah, I think if you're gonna so like have a serious business, like I... you should like have serious like a, a serious like, you know, set of hours that you put in for it. Totally. I think that's I think that's a really good approach because it's I do this thing where I'm like, oh, I could edit the podcast at any time. So then I just keep pushing it back or then I do it at a really bad time, which was actually really bad for me personally. Like I got the thing done, but I did it from bed and I wasn't really happy with it. And I was just kind of 
Yeah, trying to shove yeah, it into yeah, a space shove. where it didn't really fit. I was getting really tired. And, and I know about myself that, like, past sort of 3 p.m., that just nothing really good is going to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, that's when I sure. should just put the things down and pull the Netflix up and get the knitting out and have the, yeah, <laughs> have the phone, whatever. Do the shit and, like, and, like <laughs> be the, the like, witch that, you know is calling for intentions yeah that's right that's right all the things at once but just recognizing Mm -hmm. that but still doing that thing where I'll put stuff in my google calendar that's like yeah totally I'll do the thing at 6 p.m or I'll do the thing after I get back from dance class at 8 p.m like no I fucking won't I'm not gonna do that (laughs) like let's get real I like I'm gonna sit in my bed with Netflix and that's just not gonna happen but this is what I like Mm -hmm. about google calendar that you can um you can just slide things around. It's like, it's mm-hmm. like I never, it's like I never even put the thing there because I just you never on to the next it. day. Exactly, which is possibly exactly. really like you bad. Didn't, you didn't fail. Like you didn't, yeah. you didn't not like meet your expectation. You just moved it up into the future, and then you'll meet that yeah. expectation tomorrow or in a week or whatever. Which I think is potentially yeah. It's like it's potentially dangerous if you're a chronic procrastinator. But sure. I think I'm, I can be so tough on myself with podcast right. stuff and being like, oh, it didn't get it out on time or I, the link didn't work or da, 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 da. It's like, I just, to, to give myself that little wiggle room of like, oh, I just moved it over. I don't have a physical diary where I'm like crossing things off so that I, mm-hmm. you know how when you write, you know how when you write. physical calendar, you have to like, oh shit, I didn't do that. I have to cross it off and now like move it over. Like sometimes right. crossing it off is really satisfying, but then the fact that you have to move it over to another time and you keep seeing it being crossed out and put moving over and over and over, yep. sort of that. Yeah, pain I'm just never going to accomplish that. And that's a, like that thing. It's like, oh, did I did that thing really? Was that actually a priority? Did I really need to do that thing if I just keep pushing it back and nothing is falling apart because of it? <laughs> like, like that's a, that's like a good way to evaluate like where like what your business or what your, you know, projects need to be based around. If, if you see these like trends where it's like, I never want to do this, then maybe don't do it anymore or find yeah. another alternative to what, you know, that means for you. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so Ashton was mentioning the quilts and I, I had this like <laughs> Instagram flashback <laughs> of, like, <laughs> of when I first found you two somehow yeah maybe you've been with Marley us for or something like, I don't know somewhere it's just back there mm-hmm. you've been with us from like the very beginning I remember sorry sorry I remember like getting scattered. messages from you like from the very oh, yeah. beginning of Wax and Wayne Aww. yeah you've been like one of our biggest fans Oh, you guys are amazing. <laughs> I just remember looking at the two of you and being like, whoa, this like business partnership, two people, they're making beautiful stuff and they're making these like, quilts and they're making, they're like, oh, and now they're dying stuff and just wanting to, I, yeah, I remember feeling pretty entra- entranced by you both. <laughs> oh, that's so precious. That's good to hear. Thanks for the lovely accolade. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And then you've just been doing more and more and doing all the cool things. But when was that? Like, how long ago was that? So that was, yeah, that was two years. So to take you wow. on our like journey, I guess, of like yeah. how we got there, Ashton and I, we were in a graduate program together. Um, it was community arts. That was like the, the program. So it focused a lot on like education and social justice and community organizing and nonprofits and art making components. Um, and then Ashton was doing doll making and I was working in, no? Oh, Ashton's like on Instagram right now and he's shaking his head. And I was like, is that inaccurate? But no, he's just that's like judging totally people fine. on the internet right now. Sorry. I'm um, <laughs> and then, so for my thesis, we started working, um, we started making quilts together for um, women who were um, recovering in recovery programs. So we got into fibers that way. And then like I took, we both took just like a wonderful classes at Maryland Institute College of Art and um, got into, fi- I took a really great fibers class and learned all about natural dyeing. And so when I graduated and he had already been uh, graduated for like a year mm-hmm. out, we both were like, we should, we should like be selfish with our time and, like get a studio together and just focus on all the fibery things that we love and just use that space as a 
place to make and explore and learn. And so we were focused on quilting. Um, and I think we both, I mean, we both really wanted to like create a business. Like that was, that was definitely like something that we talked about. And so we were trying to make quilts for a while. Um, but very quickly realized like, A, quilting takes a really long time and B, like no one in our community has the money to buy our quilts and C, are we really even enjoying making quilting, making quilts to sell for money? Like it didn't see, it just, it quickly became apparent that like maybe this isn't what our business needed to be about, but we were like also experimenting with natural dyes and just other different types of fiber and surface design techniques. So we got into shibori and we got into batiking and Ashton really likes like smart textiles. So there were a lot of other things we were playing with and out of that playfulness kind of was wax and wine fiber, which then became like more focused in natural dyes, but it gave us the space to be like, okay, we're going to like, we're going to try to make money doing this, but there's also a lot of creative freedom because there's not like one thing that we do. It's just sort of, we can do anything. <laughs> we just put our name on that. Um, and yeah, and then flash forward and now we're, we're doing a lot more like indigo based workshops that have been really successful in Baltimore. And we're making some garments that we're dying and we do like commissions and custom orders and find ourselves moving around a lot in the community teaching. It's been great. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love having the ability to just, that's kind of how I use close knit is it's like, this is just really a basket that I can just throw the things I want to do into. Cause it's nice to have that flexibility of what thing you want to be doing and, and sort of adaptability to what your community needs and how you can show up to that. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell me about the workshops that you both have been running? Yeah, so that's another reason why we really need a studio space too, is because we actually run our workshops out of our studio space. And then we partner with a lot of other um, organizations and like shops specifically. That's been like one of our real great places to do stuff in. Um, because there's like a community that we haven't activated yet that, yeah. like for instance, we're doing one this weekend at a place called Trove in Hamden, or it's in two weeks. And they can basically just put out an email blast and either they've heard of us or they haven't and they just sign up super quick. And we don't have to like do anything on our end, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, a lot of what we're doing right now is indigo dye parties. So just because of the social nature of indigo and how it's a huge vat that is such a very different process than other natural dyes. And you can just have a bunch of people getting around one bat together and like really socializing. Um, it's so much different than if we were to teach a Cochino class or a matter class where you have to prepare the dye and then let it sit for like at least an hour. And then people are just like twiddling their thumbs while they're doing it. Yeah, they're like, let's talk or something. But we're trying to find ways of um, having those classes because we're still very interested. We ran a black dye class in D.C., it was wonderful. And uh, we had a tarot reader come. And so when the dyes were actually settling into the fabric, we had her um, do a bunch of tarot stuff with our class. And it was a really, I think a lot of people bought the tickets for the tarot and they like mm. got the scarf as like a secondary thing, mm. which I'm fine with because we still got paid for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so, that's really cool. That's a really cool approach that I would not have thought of because I've thought about the same thing with teaching dyeing, like with knitting or something or even quilting. It's sort of like you've got the thing, there's a process, there are steps that you can kind of follow and there's always something that you can be doing. And with dyeing, it's just that whole, okay, do I bring like pre-mordanted fabric? Do I, like, how do I show them the different steps? But it's also going to take an hour where it's like just boiling and what do they do for that hour? right mm. exactly mm. that's super interesting and yeah how have you guys gone with like um just like the pricing pricing models how have you worked that out with your workshops like yeah can you walk me through that a bit it's increased mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah we actually just recently yeah. increased our prices for like everything which is because we were selling out of our workshops and the more workshops we sold out we're like okay we're like 
there's a demand for what we do and people really appreciate it. And people are coming back to our workshops. Like that was like a huge, just like, like, you know, that how, how wonderful that people like really valued what we were saying and what we were teaching to come back multiple times. Um, so seeing that happen, we were like, okay, we obviously can like, you know, raise, raise the prices a bit and people are still coming. So I think mm. that's a really great way to like measure your success as a business and like what you're doing. But I mean, creating prices in general for products and for the work that we make and for the workshops just off the bat has always been, I think, I mean, it's, it's, struggle. So, it's so, it's such a struggle, I think for everyone. Cause it's like, yeah. you want to like be humble and you want to like make it, I mean, for us, it's like, we want to, we want to be able to be like inclusive because some of our, you know, some people, some people in our audience are older women who have you know, who are retired and have like a just endless supply of money coming in their way and they can totally spend a hundred dollars on a, you know, like a four hour dye class because who cares? And then we also have uh, another like part of our audience who are, you know, people who are like at MICA or like art students or just coming out of school or who are, um, you know, in our age bracket and they don't have any money at all. And they still want to learn these things and we want to be able to um, interact with them. So, I mean, for us, it's important to be able to approach these two different kinds of folk. And that's like what Ashton was saying when we partner with different spaces, that usually also means that we are, our prices fluctuate based on the spaces that we're teaching in. So if we're teaching it like a super high end, like boutique or like maker space, it just feels like there's money involved. We can raise our prices and if we're teaching in like community centers or um, like nonprofit spaces, usually because they're with causes that we really um, are interested in, we'll make it way more inclusive so that anyone can come in, you know, regardless of their backgrounds or social economic status or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Have you found that a thing that you feel like you can clearly communicate to your various audiences? I feel like that's something that I struggle with, with like, okay, well, I'd love to have, you know, I'd love to be able to have this like beautiful organic wool, blah, blah, blah afternoon that somebody who has 250 bucks to just drop could go and spend their money there on that. But then I'd love to be able to funnel the excess from that into having free workshops and stuff. But then wondering, it's like, how are those, like, obviously those offerings are different, they would be different, but that fundamentally I'm teaching the same thing. And I was sort of like, how do I communicate that to people? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, um, so I work at a nonprofit um, as one of my other jobs. And uh, all of our stuff is grant funded. And I think that it's really hard when you offer free. And I, I'm, just, I'm just piggybacking specifically off of you saying free. Because Claire and I have made a commitment sure. that we are not doing free ever again. Because there is a a delegitimizing factor. When you say this is for free, you're saying I'm giving away everything for free. Whereas even if it's just $5, people will show up more frequently if you do that mm -hmm. um, because they've, they've yeah. put something into it. And that's something that I see a lot at, at the nonprofit that I work at where people, they just don't show up because why do they have to? And it's, we work with grief at the nonprofit. So it's like, why would you want to come up and like, deal with your grief if you could just like stay at home and not do it. So, um, yeah, we definitely like try and figure out ways of integrating these heftier sums of money so that then we can, um, go to the other organizations and say, we're going to give 50% of what we get from this and we're going to give it back to this organization because we care about yeah, it. Yeah. That seems like a really thoughtful way of, of doing that. And I really hear you on the I've probably misspoke when I said free because I've had the same experience of being like, oh, we'll do this for free. And then actually no one came because they something yep. something else came up on that night. And it's fair enough. Like things happen. But when you've put five, ten dollars down on something, suddenly it's like, oh, that's a thing that I've scheduled that I, that I right. can't push back because right. I did commit to doing that. Yeah. And also, yeah. like, there are people in the world who will want to work with you and will also not appreciate your time or your labor and will really, really try to get out of paying you for mm -hmm. things. And so just making sure that there is zero culture of like, 
my time is um, free and you don't have to respect me or like my craft. I like, I, we don't want to like set that precedence with anyone that we may or may mm-hmm. not work with um, just because yeah. there should be no such thing as starving artists. Like that's so unnecessary. And so if we work for cheap, that's fine. But like it, you know, we, we're bringing something, we're bringing some magic to the table and like, you, you know, everyone should respect that. We only work for cheap if it's yeah. going back for something greater. Exactly. I think, and I think that's a place that you can be much more lenient with that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yes. I totally hear that. So how, so you both work other jobs in addition to Wax and Wayne. Is that right? Cool. Yeah. Is that right? How yeah. does that look um, in terms of, I know Claire, you were kind of saying you have like random days and Ashton, you have more of like the Monday to Friday how does it look like how do you both mm-hmm. structure it and how does it look in terms of the logistical like is that what pays your rent kind of thing and then wax and wane can kind of help you do other stuff right yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean we just actually created a really great little spreadsheet for wax wane to see like how our earnings have gone up over the year um yeah. so it's been really cool to like see that grow and if we keep doing what we're doing over time if there if this trend stays you know the amount of time that we have to put into our other jobs can definitely change and we can focus more on wax and wane. But yeah, I mean, right now we have to, yeah. we have to have like both incomes happening or else, you know, it, there will be a problem. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we're just, Ash and I are like really good at con- like being in constant communication with e- with each other. So in terms of like just organizing ourselves in and around the studio space it's been really easy where I know when he's coming in and he knows when I'm coming in and there are days there are mostly days where we can just be in and out and it doesn't matter who's in there we just catch up later but then there are days where it's like you have to be there and I have to be there and we have to sit and look at each other and like talk about things Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. yeah but I mean I think we're we're pretty good at like creating creating hours in our studio like we definitely take the work that we're doing seriously so we we put in I think a pretty good amount of time for what we can right now Mm -hmm. it seems really special to me to have it be a partnership right yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. it is really special well and like I I was looking I was looking at just like that like spreadsheet I was talking about and I mean, it would be very, very difficult for one person to do what we've done this year, but right. there's also like, you know, we could probably, if it was just one of us doing this, we could probably like not have to work our other jobs as much and mm-hmm. really just be doing wax and wane, but we make space for each other. And so it's obviously like more of a financial burden when it's like two people running this like tiny, tiny, tiny little company, but you know, the whole, the whole reason we set up wax and why our business is wax and wane is because I can't always be waxing and Ashton can't always be waning. And so Mm -hmm. we like literally need each other to do certain tasks, um, and to like create that full moon that is our business. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I really wanted to go there. So I did. Thank you for going there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That seems, Yeah. yeah. That is something that I have to admit that I'm quite envious of. Like, I understand that the financial element then becomes more challenging when it's like, well, we have to split this between two people and how does that all look? And putting, like, making sure that everyone feels like that they're contributing in an equal or whatever, like, contributing in a way that feels good for both of them. Um, But I am, like, so envious of having another person to just, like, get excited about shit and, like hold each other accountable like I have this in my in my life with Instagram friends and with other people in my life who kind of help to hold me accountable and stuff but ultimately when you're stoked about going to the Bothwell International Spin-In you know like going to like hang out with a bunch of ladies over the age of 60 who are going to be like spinning fiber there are not that many other 25 year olds in Hobart who want to talk about that (laughs) or sure other people you know just like other people in your life that want to want to engage with that sort of stuff or that can like can be there to understand how to help hold you accountable for your business tasks and stuff and so to have like that other human there to to do those things with I'm very yeah 
I think that's really good. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's helpful because there are certain things that, you know, either of us just aren't good at. And you're able to say, like, you're really good at this. And I just can, I'm going to trust that you're going to do this and you get it done. And I don't have to, like, question you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, like, I wanted to just talk about this for a second because we started, like, going a little bit into, like, business. And, um, I just recently had a conversation with my dad because my dad is like this businessman. He literally is a businessman. (laughs) He's a businessman. And so I've like asked him a lot of questions about what we should be doing. And I think for me, I always wanted to keep like a large sum of money in our bank account just to be like really safe and like make sure that we could buy the supplies that we needed to. Um, and just like from a very logistic point, my dad was just like, you need to figure out what you need every month. You keep that in your bank and then you disseminate the rest of the money and don't worry about it. Like pay yourself out for what you're doing. Yeah. And that was such like an interesting shift to have happen where it was like, okay, we do have this much amount in the bank. We can actually take it out and use it for ourselves because we can still fund our projects because we know that it takes about such and such amount of money to buy all the supplies that we need for every workshop. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so if that's like yeah. one little tidbit for any smart, small business owners, like pay yourself, don't be worried about paying yourself because that's the reason why you got into this. Right. Mm. And the more yeah. you pay yourself, the more you can like keep doing what you're doing and pay your sales tax and pay your sales tax because yes, just because pay your sales tax. <laughs> Cause we're learning. We're learning everything about taxes right now. Yeah. And that's like what just budget in. Just make sure you've budgeted in, like, whenever you're pricing something, you need to have your sales tax on that. Yeah. 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 Like, set up all of your websites to, like, do the sales tax. Take it out. Like, take it out. Square and does that. Pay that Squarespace shit. Squarespace does it. You pay that shit, like, every month or every quarter or whenever your state or country needs you to do that. Just do it. And, like, just do it well. Yeah. Because what you're otherwise, then you kind of get lumped with a big... Yeah, chunk end of, of the tax. year. Yeah, end yeah, of the year okay. tax sales. And, and it's like, not even like the amount of money that you owe. It's also like this anxiety as like this is our mm-hmm. first tax season, and it's like it's scary thinking like, you know, we're so low rung in like how much money we've made this year that like the government doesn't really care about us. But it's also nerve wracking being like, I have to tell you how much money I made, and then I have to like pay the government and make sure that I like gave you the right amount, and you can come and hunt me down if I didn't. Yeah, and it's just like, like it's all me. scary. Yeah. yeah. It is scary. It's definitely scary. I think about that with when I'm like doing my income tax here because I'm like too small of a biz- business. Like I'm technically registered as a business, but I'm basically too oh. small to matter. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, like when I, you know, like get sponsorship for the podcast or run a workshop, you know, my income is very, very minimal. But sure. I still am like, oh, I better like get in the habit of claiming this. But it's like very confusing. And I'm always like, I'm pretty sure I like claimed all the things I needed to and pretty sure that I you know like did it the right way but I don't know but (laughs) you were here and you're not in jail so you're obviously doing it right so you're fine true for now I'm doing okay yeah the government hasn't found you yet the government's gonna like listen to this podcast after and be like wait this particular business owner doesn't do their taxes right probably needs to do something about this we're gonna we're gonna get her now (laughs) (laughs) close-knit podcast it's just dealing with all the hard truths you know exactly so many hard truths there's a lot man oh too many too many but lots of good things too and I think that's like the cool beautiful thing about the fiber world is there's this kind of potential for it to be real touchy feely and sweet and lovely and everyone's mm-hmm. like, like super supportive for the most part sure. like my experience of, of the fiber world is like everyone's like we love each other and this is so great but at the same time it's like this especially now especially in the last like few months of seeing people use fiber in as a form of protest and it's so people, political like, oh yeah oh yeah 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 like, exactly it's so yeah. political mm-hmm. and it's yeah. so wonderful yes yes What's that really good book that is in our studio? It's like the toolbox for the revolution. Beautiful. Beautiful trouble. Beautiful trouble. A toolbox for revolution. Yeah. And it just gives you all these like really great examples of like how folks have, how you can protest all of the different tactics and like 
there is literally like there's so many like fiber arts example like illustrations and demonstrations in there and it's just like yeah like the stuff is powerful yeah and it seems even more powerful when it's like here's this like soft act that's like traditional and a like literal soft thing that's like sort of traditionally quote women's work and like you know just says this very docile like oh and she sat right. and she stitched and she was so happy and it's like no <laughs> like shit yeah, actually I was really fucking angry yeah and yeah. I stitched some like really brutal words on there and I'm gonna Put it in your face. Exactly. Like Shannon Downey, who's badass cross stitch, was saying had a had a sign at the women's march that said, um, like I stitched this so that I was so angry that I could like stab I, saw I could that. St- stab with this needle a ten thousand times. I just butchered that statement. Yeah, but you know I what I mean? That, that was beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. So good. Just channeling that like rage. And yeah, can I ask you guys, you folks, how um how your, if your process has kind of changed in this political climate, like if wax and wane is changing as a result of the political climate? For sure. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we even just like changed a little bit of like language, like on our about page, we were like, okay, like, we're not just two people. We are like um, a queer activist and feminist based website. That's number one. So just like owning who we are and like being more transparent about like what we stand for is really important. So I think that's been like step one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we we definitely are trying to be like more responsible consumers and more responsible makers. Yeah. So we've been doing it like during like the Black Friday and during like President's Day weekend, we were doing sales where a portion of the sales would go back to like the trans Alliance and like the ACLU and we did a standing rock one too. So just like trying to like remain vigilant and, and active and combat these like, you know, terrible things has been, I think something that's like more and more like starting to like be at the epicenter of what we're doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Ashton's making these like beautiful fucking naturally dyed trans, uh, well, there oh, is a trans there flag. There is a trans flag. It's behind us here, right, right there. Which yeah. no one on the podcast will be able to see, but you can see it on oh, our yeah, website. But it's, yeah, it's like the the gay and lesbian rainbow flag. I am going to be making a bi flag with someone someday soon. I made a trans flag for someone uh, during the holiday season. And part of those proceeds go back towards um, the Baltimore Trans Alliance. Um, so we're also... We, we were doing this also in, like, the elections times as well. Claire was doing a lot of vagina batiks. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah. And we've kind of fallen off with both of our pride flags and vagina stuff. But we really we're going to get back into it. And um, I think also just trying to find um, local businesses and local organizations that we can support yeah. instead of, like, the ACLU... Yeah. which is great. And there's obviously going to be like a Baltimore chapter, regional chapter yeah. that we can support to specifically, mm-hmm. but like the Baltimore trans Alliance, like that's something that is extremely grassroots and we could give to them. Mm-hmm. And it's not the, what's the one that's the equality, like the equal sign, the human uh, rights campaign, yeah, yeah, human rights which campaign. like if you give to the human rights campaign, it's fine, but it's probably going mostly to the executive director. Right. Give to, give to your communities first, I think. Keep it yeah. localized. So we try to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is something I was thinking a lot about because I hosted like a pussy hat knitting workshop um, where, yeah, where I kind of it was with the caveat of like, like I kind of got up to the class and was like, here's a couple of caveats. One, like I find it problematic that like, like, you know, gender is not genitalia and like, therefore pussy hat potentially problematic. And then second caveat Um, was like, I'm American. Like I'm an American citizen. I live in Tasmania, but ultimately like planned parenthood made sense for me at that moment. It seemed, it just was obvious. It was like, okay, this is an organization that I know is like using its funds to give access to reproductive rights for folks right. and that's important to me but then there was this internal dialogue that I kept having of like oh is this the wrong like this is the wrong thing to do because it's not local and like 
if it's not mm, community based, then, ooh. but I kind of just had to, I felt like I needed to just begin. And it was like, this isn't a perfect action, but I just have to start here. And hopefully yeah. that like, you know, that donation to Planned Parenthood then makes me go, okay, what makes me seek out, like, who, who are the reproductive rights services in Hobart? And like, how do I support those guys? Absolutely. Mm, and just, yeah, I think, yeah, I really appreciated that you brought that up about doing going to the Baltimore like trans what was it called sorry alliance, alliance. Oh, Baltimore trans alliance yeah, yeah cool yeah just finding your actual local group that's doing it and being able to give to them that's really potent yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah I find it so beautiful that like I mean I'm sure you're saying this a lot on Instagram too but like so many small businesses are I feel like changing their language or their the way that they conduct business and sales to being just a fairly more responsible version of what they used to be Mm -hmm. before the election or like before six months ago and I think that that's like a really like if it's going to be trendy like great but it's like a good trend to to be is to be just slightly more elevated and attuned to like the political climate it seems like people are more actively okay with identifying as things they weren't previously openly mm. identifying as. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, people saying, yeah, I am a feminist. And yeah. Like, yeah. And I'm just becoming a lot more unapologetic about it and a lot more kind of like, if I'm meeting a new person, particularly if they identify as male, I'm sort of like, do you identify as a feminist? And if that's not a yes, like, from the get-go, I'm like, we yeah. need to talk about this now. <laughs> like, yeah. This yeah. needs to change now because this is really problematic. Whereas before I kind of probably would have gone, oh, when I am too honest and when I'm too, when I'm too rough, when I'm too all these whatever things, people label me as a bitch or they don't want to hang out with me because I'm not, I'm not sweet enough and I'm not soft enough. And that was my experience kind of growing up. Well, that's just the in- patriarchy being, doing what it's doing. And you need to like smash that real quick because- Women are not always sweet. Yeah. Women are not always gentle or fragile. We can be angry and we don't have to apologize for that. That's, that's fine. Yeah. There's um, this amazing uh, business in Baltimore, Neighborhood Fiber Company, and um, the business owner, she had like kind of what you were saying. She was like, and she's been very active on social media about talking about this where she was like, you know what? I'm, um, I'm, a, I'm a black owned business. I like started this mm. from scratch. I am going to like own it. And I'm going to just like on like my website and my social media, I'm going to be very, very clear about like politically, like where I stand and like talk and, and like supporting black lives matter. Um, and she's like, and I'm not going to apologize for it. And anyone who has a problem, I do not want your sales. I want nothing to do with you. And she's just been like, yeah, very, very vocal about the types of people who approach her, like either like on like Ravelry or on different, um, like or on their like in-house website and just being like so offended that fiber and politics are mixing. And she was like, why is that? Why can't, why can't we do that? There was like a post today that I just saw and someone I think it was like on Ravelry, like approached her and they were like, you know, I knit so that I don't have to be, so I don't have to pay attention to politics and you're not, you're, you're not making that happen for me. So like, I just, I'm never going to support you again. And it's like super, just like very, very like dramatic and interesting that this is, you know, another conversation. Well, and this is the thing, right? Like the I think I sometimes have to remind myself that if like everything I did pleased everyone, I'm not doing, I'm not mm-hmm. doing the thing that matters. Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not changing anything because I'm just, not, I'm just putting fluff into the world. If everybody can be okay or just like middle of the road about what I'm doing, I'm not pushing the boundaries enough. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 So I just sort of, and of course it's like easy to say that and be like, okay, now I'm going to go push boundaries and like be more transparent about who I am as a person and my belief system. But the reality of like her having to sit with that, that feedback that she was getting from people of like, I'm not going to support you anymore because blah, like I, you know, hopefully it rolls off the back and she can recognize like what she said. I don't want your business. I don't want to be supported by folks who cannot, who cannot identify with these things and support these things ultimately. 
It's exactly. A, it's, a, it's powerful. That's really powerful. And it's like hard because it's business, right? Like you want to be able to make your income from it, but exactly. That's you just have to accept like, can I alienate mm-hmm. potentially uh, X amount of my clients because we just honestly don't see the world the same way. And yeah. I think that's really yeah. noble. If you can be like, you know what? I don't want that money. That's dirty money. I don't need it. Yeah. I'm just going to like, and hopefully by like being more transparent, you create a new set of like clients that you can, you know, yeah. that will, you know, respect you and, and support your business and buy from you. Yeah, absolutely. Which is what I'm sure is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, neighborhood Fiberco. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Link into that in the show notes. Amazing. Ah, so good. There's so many things. <laughs> hey, it's like, I just feel like these conversations could go on and on. And there's so many things you could talk about. You could talk about your personal history and how it fits into the fiber world, but you could talk about how it fits into the political climate and present day and freaking self care and stuff. Oh, that's actually something I wanted to ask is, because it's because it's like you you both went to school to study this, so you know you've got like you presumably had a practice around um, art making in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you seen your kind of art practice change, or whatever your practice is to look after yourself or your creative practice? Like how has that kind of changed as you've as Wax and Wayne has kind of done its thing over time? Yeah, I um. So this has been like a real thing for me in 2017 is I just started making a zine about reclaiming the divinity in art making or the divinity of creativity Um, because I was recognizing I was doing a lot of knitting and I've kind of slowed that down a bit. But what was happening is I would start knitting and then I would immediately turn on Netflix and it was this almost this process of me preventing myself from experiencing the creative act. And I was like, what am I doing right now? Like, why am I, why am I so offended by this act? And why do I have to, why do I have to find something else to take up my time when this can be the thing that takes up my time? Mm. Um, And just embracing that for what it is. And just like building in these like very specific rituals to say like, I'm going to put out these candles if they're real or not. I'm going to, I'm going to anoint all of my work with oil. Like I'm going to place blessings into the work that I make because that's necessary for me to do. And to say like, this is a healing thing for me and it's going to be healing for who I'm giving it to as well. Um, So like reclaiming that and me doing that in the studio whenever I can to be like, this is my safe space. This is my sacred space. And I can only allow things to come in that will in some way produce something beautiful in the process. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Claire, what do you reckon? Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I just have like a tarot reading like on this Ashton read my, my cards for me. And I think I've been a little, I don't know. I think I, I get really absorbed with like wax and wane and that sometimes just like that is obviously like part of my art, but um, I feel like yeah. kind of like things we were talking about earlier. I've just like, I've recently like come up and like took a big breath and have like looked around and am sort of examining my life. And I'm like, Whoa. Okay. Like I used to be a painter. Like I used to like get interested. I was like doing sculpting. Like I was doing a lot of different, I was making jewelry. There's like a lot of other things that I was making um, that I sort of, put on the back burner and sort of got invested in just like wax and wane aspect in my life, which is great. And I'm glad that I was able to put in all that time. But, um, yeah, I feel like I need to find another, I need to find a few more actions that aren't for profit or aren't Mm -hmm. for wax and wane that are like, honestly, just for me. And I think like making, like I was really, I was getting involved in like fatiguing and I was fatiguing all of these like vagina forms. And that was really like, a meditation point for a while. And then I was like, Oh, but then I could just do this on a scarf and put it on the website and sell it. And like, that works too. So then I, then again, I got like really transfixed and like, okay, that's what I'm going to do now. I'm just going to like bust out a bunch of scarves to sell. And then it sort of like lost that, um, like intention again. So I'm like now trying to like go back to maybe how it was in the beginning of our business when 
part of the studio time was really playful and it like honestly wasn't about like putting things up on our website for sale. It was just just for us to like get to know the things that we know we like, but like how to use them more and how to like harness their divinity. So I want to, we've like just currently like set up our studio space. We have this like beautiful new space and like all this table work. So I want to have like, we have this loft and I want to, in the loft, I want to create like a little nook for myself to sort of like start collaging again and to like just start making these like really beautiful, blushy, like open yardage eco prints just for myself to like play with. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I need to start like reclaiming some space back for like me and my art making. And I mean, there's like anxiety in that because it's like, what do I make? Like, what do I do? Sure. Um, but it's also, yeah. I think, important to as an artist to like have your thing um, that's just your thing that makes you feel good and then have your thing that can also maybe feed you a little bit too, like literally feed you and pay your bills and like financially yada yada. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm like there. I like haven't figured that out yet, but um, I feel like once I get back from like Mexico, actually in Mexico, I'm going to be, I have th these little, this little loom that my friend made and I'll be only dying with yarn. So I'm hoping that while I'm there, I'm just going to make like a million, like tiny, tiny little weavings. And that can be maybe my sacred act. And that's like, you know, again, that's just for me to busy my hands and like look at the Mexican sunset and weave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sounds so good. Oh Every time I hear about Oaxaca, I'm like, ah, oh, can we have like a class field trip there, guys? <laughs> Everyone, <Right? laughs> that'd be great. All listeners of the Close Knit Podcast. No, honestly though, we should we should get like a group of fiber freaks that who we've never met before and just plan a trip to Oaxaca and like take one of these classes and just be like, now we can meet in real life. Yes, and we can like do an exchange of friendships and skills. We yes. do that. This happens all the time where I sort of go, can we all just like, uh, what's the word? Just sort of land. <laughs> all of us just be in this one place together mm -hmm. where we can go on hikes and drink tea mm. and yeah. just generally hang out, maybe maybe snuggle, you know, like maybe Let's a, just little snuggle a little bit. <laughs> consensual yeah. snuggling. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you know how we feel about snuggling. <sighs> All the snuggles. Man, if you both could just teleport right now. I know. Just Here. right there. Right now. Oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's really good to talk to you both. Yeah. 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 See, did I not say that like people would like hear the friendship building? Like we're so mushy right now. This is like this is serious <laughs> pillow talk right now. Oh, pillow talk. <laughs> like we're being just make us serious. Oh, we should have like Skype pillow talk. I feel like this is very good zine fodder. Or it's just like, and we could just get that that little picture of each of us on our pillow each Aww. night. It's like, Aww. and the night when Claire said. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> <laughs> and then I sang you a lullaby. I got out my ukulele and I sang you a lullaby. <laughs> oh, yeah, you do. I've seen your videos of the youth. You're such a good singer. Oh, it's one of those like, uh, it's one of those things for me that's very much a like, this is your soft act. Like this is your mm. thing that's like, you're not that good at it. It's not for anything or anyone. Although I guess in putting, I was talking to my housemate about this the other day, just like uh, putting my videos of me like singing or dancing or whatever into the world. And she was like, I was like, they're not really for anybody. And she was like, yeah. well, but you put them out into the world. So they're going to have a reaction. And I was like, hmm, yes that's a thing like I just mm -hmm. it didn't I don't really think about why it is that I'm like sharing them it just felt yeah. like that that's like you know my social media feels like this is what's happening in my life right now so that's like what I share it's like oh today like um yeah what was that called like Zanga like those like online diaries you oh know? my gosh I don't Do know if I knew what that was no no I feel like they were like no, other Zanga yeah it was okay Zanga definitely was a thing but it was like back in like the early 2000s and like that was the you know all the like emotional kids were like getting these like online journals and like you could subscribe to them and like literally read all the you know sad pathetic things that we were all writing when we were in middle school yeah but, but it was literally like it, it was an act that you did like for yourself but clearly it was public yeah people could read it but you know I don't know why we did that either 
clearly you want like a response or like you want, maybe you're like, you're, you're trying to connect with people. But it's also like really interesting yeah. documentation of like your movement too. Like it has to live somewhere. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. And just that people had, had people be like, oh, are you moving into like a performance art space now that you're knitting and dancing at the same time? And I was like, that is not a thing that I thought about at all. And like is a hundred percent not how I identify as a human, like as a performance artist. But it was really interesting to have that put into my mind yeah. and how initially I kind of really shirked back and was like, no. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe I don't know like I'm just gonna keep dancing and like just Mm -hmm. see where that goes I guess yeah yeah um are there any people that you want to that we should be we should know about in this like it doesn't have to be fiber it can be whatever are there people you're just really into at the moment we used to do these Instagram posts on our blog where we would like talk about our crushes our insta crushes yeah Yeah. um I do love that I have a lot of those. Yeah. So, I mean, for one, just talking about, like, political craft, like, the guy that we were talking about earlier that I, that Claire's ever met, that I've stayed with him, it's Zach Foster. He's a quilter in Brooklyn. You probably know yes. of him. Yeah. And he's, oh, he's yes. been doing a bunch of, like, very political inclined stuff recently. Um, so he's, like, a really good person to look at right now. He's, like, producing a lot of stuff. And he's also really interesting, too, because he is a he's a full time teacher. So and he lives in this tiny mm. Brooklyn apartment. So like everything that he does is on this long arm machine. He and his mm. partner's like bedroom and like, you know, it's just very much wow. showing like what you can do um, with a yeah. small amount of space and a small amount of time, just like dedicating it. Oh, yeah. To yeah. that. Um, I think we're both actually currently on. We're like literally like looking sunflower at all of the- knits. Oh, sunflower sunflower knits. knits. They are amazing, and they just recently put out a series of um, patterns that are all based off of moon cycles. So I mean, that was just like a whole thing. And then we're gonna interview them for Biz Nasty at some point too. So that's gonna be really great. So look up sunflower knits. Mm, okay. Who okay. else? Well, I mean, if you're, like, interested in movement, I, you know, miracle of movement. My yeah. Girl, my girl, Laura, she's, like, one of my best friends, one of my oldest friends, actually, and she does a lot of, like, dance movement, um, like, documentation, and she's doing this, like, really interesting project called the, like, Exquisite Corpse, where she, um, it's, like, a project that involves, like, a lot of different, like, mover, I don't even know, like, what you're moving mover people and they're all over the world and they respond to each other's like movement posts by like adding on to it it's just this really beautiful like building of movement and form um and bodies and I just you know I have to like shout out to to some of the people that I that I truly know in the world who aren't just like Instagram stranger friends but like real people that I know have good honest you know hearts (laughs) real people that you know in the real world real people that i've like physically touched at one point or another like we've snuggled yeah yeah Yeah. all the snuggles (laughs) just come here and we'll snuggle (laughs) (laughs) i wish people could see i feel like the majority of this podcast i've just been like gently Gently like holding holding myself (laughs) and like touching my heart and stuff yeah (laughs) like if only this was a video podcast if only i mean it could be but this this audio this this audio is great. This visual, it's you've been frozen for like most of this. Yeah. Sure oh yeah, you as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're good looking people. We're all pretty <laughs> hot, but here. we're all just like really super frozen most of the time. <laughs> ah, it's bloody internet. It's so bad. I'm hopeful that we can get some good good chunks out of this. Oh, so I that think I can there's spice it together. Gold. There's some gems in here, definitely. <laughs> for sure. Some good chunks. Some good chunks. We probably should have just been recording the whole conversation and then I could just like splice in little bits where we're like, Did we? Tinder, snuggle. Well, we didn't record the preliminary. No, 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 it's good. We shouldn't. Really like the root of what we're talking about here is that everyone needs love. Everyone needs to be held and snuggled. Yes. We're just talking about tender moments. Tender moments. Tender moments. Tender moments. Tender moments. 
<laughs> can they coexist? Can Tinder moments and they Tinder moments? They, they sure can. They can. Oh, good. This is this brings me hope. Mm-hmm. You should have Tinder hope. We're all gonna find love. Open up your heart chakras. Find love in hopeless places. We found love in a hopeless Ooh. place. Rihanna, do you love that song? Oh my gosh. I, like, well, not secretly love that song. I very openly love that song. And I just, the whole, you know how there's the music video for that? And at the beginning, she's like, and you feel hopeless. And she's got this, like, Scottish accent. What? Like, why are you doing this, Rihanna? Like, you're the best. You don't need to put on a Scottish accent. What the fuck? It's like your Barbados accent is good enough for all of us. It's it's (laughs) pure gold. You don't need to put on a Scottish accent. It's funny. You should, yeah, if you haven't seen it, try watching it. I've seen it, but I I don't think I ever noticed that. Um, But I want to go back and watch it. It's a full-on video. I just watched a really great Jennifer Lopez music video today, actually. She. Do you remember? Which it's one? called "Ain't Your Mama." I mean, it's pretty funny. She pretty much just like, it's like a Mad Men era set music video where she like plays all these like secretaries and housewives, and she's like, "I will not cook for you, and I will not clean for you, and I'm gonna revolt and smash the patriarchy." And then like obviously the like the last scene is her in these like beautiful like apple chaps, and she's just like stomping around like in a city with like a bunch of other women like just dancing hard. Yeah, and she looks like she's like twenty years old, and she's actually like fifty. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, oh, she's a unicorn. Hate your mama. That sounds great. I'm looking that up. Yeah, so plug that. Plugging that. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much for chatting with us. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. Cheers. You've just listened to episode 29 of the Close Knit Podcast, and holy fucking shit, that's a lot of episodes. Um, I'm just realizing that just now, so that's why I'm recording a slightly less than polished outro. Um, If you're enjoying the Close Knit Podcast, that's really awesome, and I'm so glad that you do. Uh, Please go ahead and get in touch. Um, Leave us a review, a rating on iTunes. That will help us reach more people in the fiber arts community. And as you know, this podcast is getting increasingly less about fiber arts and more just about the world and feminism at large. So I'd love to find out if there are people I should be interviewing, people I should know about, people that I should talk to, and if there are people who want to sponsor the podcast. I'm really keen to get like-minded folks on board to sponsor the podcast so that I can keep this going because it's a lot of work and I love doing it. I just need to get paid. (laughs) So thanks again for listening. I'm really, really glad that you're here. Uh, Yeah, leave us a review. Share us with your friends. Thanks again for tuning in.